Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to imagine an unlikely scenario with me. It's Christmas morning, and the, your home is beautiful, and the kids come down in the morning, and it's a, a wonderful setting. The Christmas tree is there, and underneath the tree are all of these perfectly wrapped gifts filling the floor underneath the tree. The kids come down, and they are so delighted and overjoyed. Oh, look at all the bounty of gifts. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, as children are prone to say. <clears throat> They see all of these great, glorious packages under the tree, and then they say, well, that's nice, but we don't really need to open them, do we? Imagine if such a thing were to happen, if we were to see the gifts under the tree and then to leave them still wrapped. You couldn't do it, could you? Not possibly. And yet I want to say this morning that as Christians, sometimes we do precisely this when it comes to the greatest gift. We know that this season of Christmas, indeed our faith as Christians, is wrapped up in the greatest gift of our Lord Jesus. We believe that, we confess that, we know that. And yet, all too often, we fail to unwrap, to unpack, unpack this gift of Christ. And what I mean by that is, our Lord Jesus comes to us bringing all manner, various and sundry gifts. And we, we say, yes, we know that he has given us the forgiveness of sins. That's true. But there's so much more to say about who Jesus is for you and me and all that he bestows on us. Fortunate for us this morning in our epistle lesson, our reading from Ephesians chapter 1, St. Paul lays out the beautiful bounty and breadth of God's blessing in Christ. It's like Jesus himself. He is the greatest gift of all. But as we unpack this gift of who our Lord is for us, we find that there are all these other gifts that come along with him. All the things that he brings, all the blessings that he brings on us. And so Paul has this kind of tour de force passage. The whole reading that we had, Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14, in the original Greek that Paul wrote in is one long run-on sentence. In English, we have to break it up just for the sake of all of the English teachers in the world who would just have a conniption fit. They saw that. But this is the way that Paul was writing because his heart was overflowing as he was surveying all of the gifts that you and I have in Christ. What I want to do this morning is to unpack this gift of Christ and some of the blessings that we have in him as Paul lays it out here. We can't touch on every single one, but I want to lift up for you three in particular, three glorious, beautiful blessings that you and I have in Christ that maybe we don't fully appreciate or fully unpack and unwrap. So go ahead, if you want to pull out your uh, worship folder and turn to that epistle reading from Ephesians or use the Pew Bible as well. We're going to be you know, walking through this passage. And I want to take it in turn and start with the first gift to lift up for you comes in verses uh, 4 through 6. Paul says, even as he chose us, as God the Father chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
These few lines here point out for us the gift of election, what we call in theological parlance, election in Christ. Now, when you and I hear election, especially in the year 2020, we can't help but think of voting and of democracy and of, you know, robocall ads that you get on the phone, all of these sorts of things, these great blessings that come with election. This is not what we're talking about here. Election, according to the scriptures and in kind of the theological way of speaking, is not about us voting for a leader, much less voting for God. It's more, so to speak, God's vote for you and for me. Election, the root word for it, means to choose. And the election of God is about him choosing you and me in Christ. You might think of it like this. You remember the story of Noah's Ark. And going back to, to Noah's Ark, Noah uh, did not go by himself, but he had also with him his kids and his kids' wives. All of them were, were gathered in along with Noah into that ark, chosen along with him for salvation. So also you and I are chosen in and with Christ for salvation because he is the chosen one. He gathers in you and me for salvation as well. Now, some people, when they think about election or predestination, they think immediately their mind goes to, well, wait a second. If God chooses some for salvation, he must be choosing others for damnation, for perdition, to go to hell. And I grant that that's a kind of logical inference. You say, well, okay, if he chooses some for salvation, he must be choosing others for the opposite thing. Even though this might be a logical thing to our rational minds, Scripture doesn't go there. And in point of fact, every time when the New Testament talks about election or predestination, it's always to encourage believers to reaffirm for you and me that you are chosen in Christ. As for those who don't believe in the Lord for whatever reason, the scripture is very clear. It's not because God says, oh, you're out. It's because of our own stubborn, sinful hearts and wills. You say, well, pastor, that doesn't add up. How could God be choosing some, but others are, are basically choosing themselves out? Look, there's, we come across these mysteries in the scriptures many times where we want to just piece it all together and say, okay, let's add it all up and make sure that it makes sense. Sometimes in the scripture, Things don't quite make sense, but we submit to it and trust that in the age to come, it will all make sense. How can God be at once, how can Jesus be at once fully God and fully man? How can God be three persons in one God? Well, these are great mysteries that we can't just add up and make sense of in our rational minds. But we submit to God's word and trust what he's told us. So here, this gift of election in Christ Trust this, know this, that a choosy God has chosen you. You are written in the book of life. Christ has already laid claim to you. So in those moments of doubt, in those moments of questioning, those, those times of wondering, do I belong to God? Take heart. Before the foundation of the world, the Father laid hold of you in his Son, Jesus. This gift of election comes to us with the gift of Christ Jesus. So that's one gift that we can lift up out of this passage. Paul goes on to lay out another one here. Pick up in verse 7. 
He goes on to say, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In these verses, Paul lays out the gift of redemption in Christ. That's one of those words that we've heard and we think, okay, yeah, I have a a vague idea of what that means, but let me be a little bit clearer about it. And the way to get at it, one way to get at it is to think of it like this. I mentioned just a moment ago, again, it's the year 2020. And as a new year, many of us will undertake New Year's resolutions, right? We want to start fresh with the new year. We want to put 2019 behind us. This is the year when we finally get fit, eat right, stop kicking the dog, whatever it might be, right? Whatever our New Year's resolutions are, because we have this sense that we want to move forward, we want to change, we want to be better, right? These are good things. New Year's resolution can be a helpful thing, a kind of uh, calendar kick in the behind so that we can move forward and try to live more into who God would have us be. But the gift that we have of redemption in Christ does, accomplishes, what our New Year's resolutions can only ever hope to accomplish. That is, it truly gives to you and me a fresh start a new life in Christ. See, redemption is all about God putting back how things were supposed to be. There was an insurance commercial a few years ago. I think it was for, for AAA insurance. But in the commercial, a guy is in his car and he's backing out of his driveway. You've probably had something like this happen before. As he's backing out, he gets distracted. He's looking at the neighbor kid doing something funny in the, the next yard over. And as he does, all of a sudden, he hears that sickening crunch. And he's run right into the mailbox. Okay, Any of you ever done something like this? And so he thinks, oh, why did I do that? But fortunately, in his car, it's outfitted with a button that says, accident rewind. And he presses the accident rewind button and... All of a sudden, he goes back, he gets another chance to back out, he's more attentive this time, doesn't hit the mailbox. Wouldn't that be nice if we had an accident rewind button on our cars? But the point of the commercial is this insurance agency says, we are like your accident rewind, helping to put things back to how they were before whatever happened to you, right? That's a lovely thought. But this is truly what Christ has done for you and me. The grave accident of sin, he has rewound and restored you and me to how things are originally intended to be. This is the gift of redemption in Christ. If at the beginning of this new year, you long to be better, to grow, to have a fresh start, know that however successful or effective your resolutions are, you have that already in Christ. You have been redeemed in Christ, forgiven of your sins, washed and made holy and whole. You have that fresh start each and every day in him. So we have these gifts in Christ, this election in Christ, redemption in Christ. And let me lift up for you one more. We start again with verse 11. Paul continues, in him, in Christ, We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, 
so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The third gift that we can look at here that Paul lifts up for us is the gift of inheritance in Christ. And as I think about inheritance and think about it in the context of our society, in our contemporary society, grace can be hard to come by. We're so focused on our performance, on our action and activity, what we're doing, proving ourselves to the world. But maybe there's one little glimmer of grace still in this concept of an inheritance. Because an inheritance you don't receive by virtue of anything that you have done, do you? An inheritance is simply a gracious bestowal on you, a bequest by virtue of who you are, your status in a family. It's a birthright given to you without any merit, but simply by the mercy and grace of one's family. I recognize that sometimes it doesn't play out all of that neat and tidy in actual family dynamics, but at least in principle, an inheritance is still a glimmer of grace. And how much more when it comes to our Lord Jesus, the inheritance that you and I have with him. See, as Paul says, we have been adopted into the family of God so that now you receive the birthright that rightly belongs to God's only begotten son. You have been joined to Jesus so that everything that is given to Jesus by nature is now yours by grace. He has given to you these gifts of election and redemption. He has given to you the hope of eternal life. He has given to you the promise of life in the age to come, the resurrection of the body and the world to come. All of these gifts of Christ's inheritance are now yours because you belong to him. And Paul also says something interesting here, that this gift of his inheritance, it's not just a future promise, but it begins now. Paul says that in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of this inheritance. The word that Paul uses, translated as guarantee here, it might better be understood or translated as a down payment. The Holy Spirit is your down payment of the full promise to come when Christ returns. It's sort of like this, at my house and maybe at your houses, a couple of weeks before Christmas, some gifts start to trickle out under the tree. And you really aren't supposed to unwrap them yet at that point, right? A gift that we get from Aunt Rose finds its way under there, from Mimi and Papa makes its way under the tree. And you start to see those things stack up and you think, ah, yes, a foretaste of the feast to come. It's that down payment, that anticipation of the full blessing that still awaits us in the future. Paul says this is what the Holy Spirit is like now, that now we're able to have a taste already of how the Lord is good, that peace that surpasses all understanding, that, that sense of the forgiveness that we have in Christ, the Spirit who binds us to one another in the community of the baptized. Already, you and I have that down payment of the full inheritance to come which is yours in Christ. 
We could go on and on in this passage. Paul lays it out so beautifully. All the gifts that you and I have, the election in Christ, the redemption in Christ, the inheritance in Christ. But I'll give you one final thought as we ponder this and, and to, to go away with. In the um, American cinematic classic, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, <clears throat> there's that moment toward the end of the movie where Clark Griswold is given this gift from his boss. It wasn't what he was expecting. It's a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. And the always helpful cousin Eddie reminds Clark in that painful moment, oh, Clark, the Jelly of the Month Club, it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I don't know about the Jelly of the Month Club, but for you and I, the Christian life is the gift that keeps on giving. Because God is the giver who keeps on giving, who continues to lavish upon you and me the gifts of his grace, the election you have, the redemption you have, the promised inheritance that you have, and so much more. Don't leave that package unwrapped. But day by day, open, unwrap, delight and enjoy the gift and the gifts of Christ. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.